Welcome to the podcast, where we clear up common misconceptions in biology and evolution. And learn that all the answers to evolution's mysteries are simple, in the way that everything is astoundingly complicated. Welcome to Darwin's Black Book. Welcome to episode 14 of Darwin's Black Book. My name is Tom Land, a zoologist and professional researcher. And I'm Rebecca White, and I'm a PhD student in evolution and genetics at the University of Exeter. This week, it's a little bit of a different one, actually. Uh, we have some follow-up questions to do with primate evolution from actually the previous episode, uh, brought to us by a listener, as well as some news. First of all... We should probably address the questions. Last week, we were talking about primate missing links. Not just primate missing links, but all missing links. I focused heavily on, on primates. And one of our astute listeners uh, realised that we didn't quite define when one species becomes another species. It's a good reason why we didn't define that. Because it's hard. Uh, so thank you very much, Jen, actually, for posing these uh, questions to us. Uh, there's another one as well I'll, I'll cover in a bit. But Becca, did you want to have a stab at this one? Yeah, absolutely. So the actual question I have here is, at what point does something become a new species in the process of evolution? Now, what you are touching on here is something called the species concept. And this has been a talking point amongst both um, life scientists and philosophers for many, many years. And it's still ongoing now. Hundreds I of even years. Myself, yeah. yeah, I even myself know um, some people who have done their undergraduate dissertations, both in philosophy and in biology, on what is a species? What are these, this category that we call a new species? And I guess that's the first problem. The fact we're trying to put it in a category when it's a gradual process. But the official definition, again, this definition does have some exceptions, um, is when two individuals can no longer interbreed to produce fertile offspring. So they're so different um, physically and genetically and everything that they cannot produce babies that can then go on to have babies they are now different species i was gonna say this is yeah so an example of this would be if you cross a tiger with a lion you get if the a liger a liger if the lion was male or if the uh, tiger was male you'd get a tyan or something along those lines um but the point is they are not genetically viable they cannot produce young themselves they're sterile hybrids they are yeah. sterile hybrids but if there we are look, definitely exceptions an yeah. example of which if you go to north america and you have a look at the polar bears they're like gradually moving south as conditions warm up they are looking for more food as sea ice can no longer provide them with, with the diet that they've had for the past several thousand years they are now moving into the territory of brown bears and the brown bears are mating with them and you're getting a a hybrid between a brown bear and a polar bear uh no it's a gr the, yeah the grizzly bears because they they're called pizzly bears um which i think is quite sweet wow. <laughs> pizzly, bears. pizzly bears but it, they are viable they are able to reproduce 
So yeah, technically they're two different species. Polar bears are some of the oldest bears in the world, um, aside from pandas. So yeah. Yeah, there's also a concept called um, ring species, where this is where lots of species kind of um, geographically live near each other, say five or six species, that kind of makes a big circle. And species that are next to each other in this circle can interbreed and produce offspring. But if you yeah. go across the circle, they can't interbreed. Yeah. Um, but they're still distinct species. Uh, let's say you have species A at the top, species B is uh, on the right-hand side, C is at the bottom, and D is on the left-hand side, like a compass points. So what this circle basically is, um, A can breed with the ones to its left and right, wherever they are on the islands, but it can't breed with C down at the bottom. People are still talking about it, still trying to categorise this, but this might be something that cannot be categorised in the way us humans like to do. Yeah, we like to put things in boxes. We really, really do like a defined line of this is one species, this is another species, and sometimes that line is more of a smear and uh, yeah. a gradient, which is really, really hard to define. Um, yeah, and so that's kind of the main concept of why this is a hard question to um, answer. So I also want to mention last year, um, when things were still in person, I went to a talk at the um, University of Exeter um, eGenis seminars. And these seminars are basically mainly about the philosophy behind the life sciences. And there was a talk by Dr. John Dupre, who's quite a big name in this. Um, and his talk was fascinating. It was about the idea of phylogenetic trees. So if you don't know what that is, it's just a fancy word for the tree of life. Um, it's what Charles Darwin had in On the Origin, where he wrote, I think, and then sketched one out. Um, so you have the the root at the bottom, and then that all splits up into different species as they evolve. Yeah. Um, so he was looking at this and said, the species concept, of course, has its issues. And he said the tree should not stop at what we call a species. It should continue to every individual. Um, so... The, the ends of the trees, the ends of the branches, don't stop at a species because within species, everything is has been you know, a natural variation. Like Obviously, we're the same species, you and me, Tom, yeah. but I'm a bit different from you. Um, so he said that maybe trees should stop at the individual. Of course, practically, that's going to be extremely difficult and really annoying when it comes impossible. to our kind of research. <laughs> um, yeah. But it is very interesting to consider individual variation as a whole thing on its own um and that was a really interesting point of view i did come away from it thinking that's really interesting but to what end like is that really going to help our research um but i do understand his point definitely i think that's really interesting like hybridization as well and in looking into that because i uh, know there's a lot of europeans with some homo neanderthalensis dna i do i had my have, genome yeah, sequence yeah, i've got You've like 2.85 percent i think of neanderthal, neanderthal dna which is yeah. that well, different species, Homo sapiens, Homo neanderthalensis. But there was some interbreeding there. And I, again, most of Europe has got a bit of it in their DNA. So that's another prime example of where maybe looking at the individual is better than looking at the species. Mm, maybe. So a question that came in that you want to take this one, don't you, Tom? Yep, um, also from Jen. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jen. Um, it says, a lot of vegans... Okay, that's a good start. Yeah, that's a great start, isn't it? <laughs> I think a lot of people. A lot of people. Well, I mean, yeah. Okay, so before we say this, I, I am vegan and I do not say this. <laughs> um, 
a lot of vegans who like tease a suggestion that artists, predominantly the lack of huge canines and the ability to grind food with molars, are proof that we shouldn't or aren't designed to eat meat. Ultimately, what attributes have we gained or retained through human evolution that could be used to support and dispute the suggestion that humans should be vegetarian? Okay, first, first, we're omnivores. Yep. I mean, I'm not, but we evolved into omnivores. We are omnivores. We've evolved into omnivores. And however, there is a lot of people who suggest that maybe we are not as inclined to eat meat and we're more on the vegetarian side of things than um, actual true omnivores. Also, just want to touch on one teeny little thing. We aren't designed. That's very true. Just That's just me being picky though, isn't it? This isn't a personal attack on Jen. No, absolutely not. (laughs) It's really, really interesting because um, I think that actually highlights, uh, as a sidetrack, very briefly highlights quite a lot of things. I've heard a lot in, in... questions and talks and also books saying how we are designed for a specific way of life we are designed for uh, a specific diet and i think they're prevalent throughout i would say the non-evolution straight biological community it, it, it's, it's just one of those things that language have picked up but if you look at it design suggests that there is a designer and that ain't how evolution works as such because yeah. i mean our teeth are clearly good enough to eat meat because people eat meat so yeah yeah absolutely. i mean it might not be like the perfect um air quotes design for doing so but like it's possible so therefore yeah absolutely um because finishing that one there's a good well because yeah natural selection has no end goal i just want to say that there is no end goal to it natural selection shapes an organism to maximize its success in a specific environment through the process of evolution but but yes yeah, so in terms of the dentary structure and diet there's it's there's a lot of factors here and it it's kind of basically my thesis for my masters um oh no <laughs> here we go uh a few episodes ago i did say it's like but that's for another episode this is that episode welcome so we're taught from quite a young age that canines equals meat eating and big molars are specifically for herbivorous and i would say if you look at megafauna elephants huge molars and they've only got a mouthful of them then yeah it's true tigers also true but when you get into smaller adaptable mammals that's where it gets interesting because the lines are not so clearly cut it's a lot more well it's a lot more in the middle in the gray area in terms of what they eat well, let's let's have let, let's start at the beginning at fifty million years ago. Welcome to another primate <laughs> evolution episode. Ah, oh, Becca looks thrilled. So, you can keep it within the, the time limit, right? Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. Fine, you can do let's it. let's do I this. I believe in you. So, primates are. Okay, I think they're just a fantastic example of of looking at this. Uh, and if you start fifty million years ago at the small, really kind of proto uh, monkeys up in the trees, they are foliage. Uh, and leaf eating as well as insect eating they have a mouthful of really sharp little fangs much like bats have today in fact um to grab and eat insects they then supplemented that with more and more leaves up in the trees leaves are not great in terms of nutritional value they've got the young leaves lots of protein lots of sugar but as soon as it kind of hits the point of the leaf unfurls then you've got an indigestible um Cellulose, right? That's what cellulose, they can't yeah, digest. Trapped in cellulose. Yes, you need specific enzymes to break that down. So then you move 
onto primarily leaf eating about 45 million years ago. But from the 45 million year mark to 20 million years, 15 million years even, you see a lot of changes occurring in the anatomy of the primate. So you shift from wandering around in trees to jumping around in trees, which is really interesting. And what time is this, sorry? 45 million. It's about 40, yeah, so we, the journey I'm going to take, there's no real dates I have you, but it, between 45 okay. and 15 million years. Oh, wow, okay, quite a big. Quite a big jump, 30 million years. Um, but what we see is a shift to, yeah, jumping around in the tops of canopies from wandering around. That's because the diet shifts from primarily leaves to primarily fruit. Fruit are incredibly mm -hmm. energy rich, lots of sugars in there. gives a lot of energy to do things like processing visual information. Visual information uh, is incredibly important if you want to jump across branches because you need to judge distance. And that's because your eyes are moving together. Each field of view in your eye uh, will be converging and being able to allow you to judge distance. Oh, the 3D image. The 3D image, exactly. The eyes overlapping. Exactly, the eyes are overlapping. And the V1, the visual cortex, which is at the back of your heads, this is a region which started to expand. We can see that, we can see uh, it expanding in order to allow this enormous amount of visual processing to take place. Yeah, so from this, increasing in, in visual acuity, visual prowess. Uh, we're getting uh, trichromatic vision as well. This is colour vision as we know it today. Red, green, blue, cones, and you can create a colour image of your surroundings. This Ooh, is, is this, you can recognise the fruit? You can recognise fruit, and you can recognise the young, tastiest leaves as well. Also, Ooh. you can determine this fruit is lovely and red and shiny and looks so so juicy and good, and then it will kill you, so don't eat that one. I see, okay. So now you can kind of stay away from those, go towards the ones that are healthy and sugary and wonderful. Also, this sees, um, because you're jumping from, from branch to branch, um, dexterity is increasing as well during this period. You're getting better at distance judging, you're getting better at noticing what food is good, and now you're getting better at dexterity. You're, with your little fingers, your little monkey fingers, <laughs> you can start picking out very specific bits and manipulating things with your hands. So I don't know what else was around at this time eating things like fruit, but I can imagine if you then look at the evolution of these plants, they now have a whole new selection pressure, right? To try and evade these new... Um, primates are now eating all of their all of their food, so they can either adapt to become more toxic or adapt ways to kind of keep their seeds safe as they travel through the digestive tract of the primates, right? Exactly. To spread. So the plants must have been evolving at this time. They are really, really interesting with the uh, angiosperms turned up. They're the flowering plants. These are the interesting ones because we see them suddenly going bananas, literally nuts. That wasn't a pun about bananas. <laughs> Not bananas, they didn't arrive. Not bananas, not um, <laughs> but we see that actually the selection pressure was for these plants to not just... Um, previously plants had uh, spread pollen through the air, through wind, uh, wind transmission. Now the selection pressure is to build the biggest, juiciest fruit. So someone eats it, picks it off the plant, takes it up somewhere else, I don't know, 40 foot away into another tree, eats the majority of it, and then throws the core away. 
Or poops out the seeds. Or poops out the seeds in terms of stuff. Um, I know a lot of monkeys, they just, when it's an absolute glut of food, they will <laughs> skim off the really nice bit, just take off the skin, just literally take a few mouthfuls and then throw the rest away. <gasps> Children do that. <laughs> it's not even worth bothering with the rest of it because <laughs> it'll fill you up and there's no, not much nutritional value. You can't break into the seeds. So they just like, nom, 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 next. Nom, 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 next. And that's how monkeys eat. Uh, <laughs> you heard it here first. They were really transforming their environment as well. They actually Very were, and, and there's a whole you could go into the whole ecosystem engineering. Actually, the they were kind of like low key artificially selecting for plants with really big juicy fruit, weren't they? They were like helping them spread the ones that had the best fruit. Would you call that artificial selection? I would just no. That is well, that's interesting. I mean, what's artificial selection? <laughs> is it only mankind doing it? But at the same that's time, another philosophy question, isn't it? <gasps> but they are. They were select. They yeah. I guess you could say they were selecting for it. Which is really interesting, mm. but you've got to also make without sure without knowing it. Without knowing, but you've also got a birds, um, rodents. Oh, they were all going at it as well. I mean, the rodents actually were able to get into those nuts and into those seeds, which the monkeys were throwing down as well, and burying them in places, forgetting about some, letting those grow up, and so. Where's the line between artificial selection and, and actual selection? And natural, just selection. natural selection. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. it's a very good point. So. Yes, we are now uh, probably 30-ish million years ago. We're seeing, yeah, colour vision is turning up. You've got fruit eating is prevalent, uh, leaf eating on the side. But the teeth at this point were still fairly sharp, fang-like things. Um, because <laughs> some fruit is tough uh, to get into some tubers. It's hard and you need to. But also we see with the brain suddenly now increasing in size, the visual cortex is increasing in size, the rest of the brain we see catching up. The cere uh, cerebrum and the cerebellum, where the kind of really complex behaviours we see uh, are originating from. Also probably important to mention here that brains are very expensive to run. They use Extreme a lot of energy. 20% of your... So, yeah, an adult human brain takes up about 2% of your mass. It uses 20% mm -hmm. of your energy reserves. That's interesting. Is that yeah, when you stop eating, that's why you feel really slow, isn't it? If you don't have enough sugar. Yeah. Um, because your body, I mean, I'm not going to go into the whole biochemistry bit, but like your body switches from digesting glucose into digesting something called ketone bodies, which it can't run as effectively on. So if you're working really hard and using your brain power a lot, make sure you're eating properly. Not just caffeine, but actual food. Not just, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was looking at me as well in my, uh, my, in my uh, uh, university. It's like, oh yes, another coffee. But... It'll keep you going for a small amount of time and then, then yeah. Keep snacking. <laughs> you need proper food. The lesson is keep snacking. <laughs> I don't know if that's the lesson, but eat properly. <laughs> yeah, okay. Maybe not. Make time to eat. Make time to yeah, that is that is a very, very good uh, lesson to come from that one. So yeah, we're seeing the visual cortex getting larger, the olfactory lobe because beforehand we were before <laughs> convergence of the eyes and before uh, judging distance, we were relying mainly on the olfactory system to go and find food. By we I mean primates uh, speak for yourself um, about you know 30 million years ago but now yeah at the 30 million year mark the olfactory lobe isn't growing anymore it's staying it's not shrinking it's just staying still while the rest of the brain is growing larger around it and yeah you've got an incredibly energy rich diet mainly vegetarian but you still have sharp teeth because Insects are used to supplement the diet. Ah. They, we, we see a lot of, 
what we would consider is purely a vegetarian folivore, therefore it only eats leaves. And then we see in the stomachs of these fossils, hang on, there's carapaces, uh, ex exoskeletons oh, of insects. Because it's having a good old munch on, on its favourite uh, shrubs. And then, hang on a minute, I got a craving for some termites. Because if we look at the termite grubs, and we look at the termites' incredibly concentrated reserves, I should say, of protein, mm. which allows the brain to grow more, which allows uh, more complex functions to arise. Also, they will have glucose in them too, which is interesting. And fat. A lot of insects do, Fats yeah. which you can't get from a vegetable source, which is actually really interesting as well. So, yeah. What are we doing with this? Well, we've, yeah, jumping from tree to tree, really good visual acuity, colour vision, distance, catching insects, you've got the dexterity in order to pick them off a tree trunk. Mm. So you've got that as well. Again, visual cortex expanding, you're finding new ways to try and do this, the cerebellum is increasing in size, the cerebrum is increasing. And so from this point, 20-ish million years ago, with the brain increasing in size and also becoming more folded. If you look at a human brain, there's loads and loads of folds in it. The more folds there are, the more surface area there is for transmission in the brain to take place, therefore the faster the thought process, effectively. Yeah, and also if you look at the early, early, early primates, you see a much more smooth brain. If you look at actually a really good one is rodents, they have a very, mm. very smooth brain, whereas if you go... Rodents are so clever! <gasps> They've got big smooth brains with a little bit of okay. uh, folding. Whereas if you look at crows, small brains, massive amounts of folding. Ah, uh, okay. So it it's kind of makes, balancing act. makes more use of the space. Which is why you can never use size of brain as uh, an indicator for intelligence. Mm. Uh, it, it's quite an interesting... It's a thing I'm very much interested in, brain size and behaviour. But that is for another episode. We'll be here all day otherwise. So from there, we see modern primates diversifying hugely we see uh, yeah most of the groups diverging from a bit anthropocentric but diversifying uh, diverging from the human lineage and yeah the teeth is a really interesting point because throughout even with the fruit eating we've retained the primates have retained fangs they've retained uh, for insect eating as well as a diverse array of foods Lots of different fruits require a lot of different ways to get into it, as well as grubs and leaves. Let's have a look at some of the modern day primates and what their dentition is doing from this, you know, 50 million years of evolution. Just the point here as well, just because even though I don't eat meat, I don't feel like any of my teeth are not being used. Like, I still exactly eat this, with all my teeth exactly and this is the point this is a really really interesting point fangs aren't only there fangs canines aren't only there for meat eating mm -hmm. which is why earlier when i mentioned when we see canines equals meat eating it's sometimes a misnomer that if you have canines you're not necessarily purely going to eat meat that's not how that mm. works there are other functions for it as well, which we'll get onto in just a second. Because if we look okay. at, for example, a modern day primate, uh, Tarsiers, they're quite a base group, quite a basal group, primitive group of the primates. They have the tiny, tiny fangs again. They've gone back to tiny fangs because they catch <laughs> purely insects. Lemurs, another quite uh, basal group, something similar. They, a lot of grubs go digging for grubs. Uh, Ring-tailed lemurs, you see them doing that. 
Love ring totally Yeah, I bought them up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, with a touch of fruit as well, when it suits them. So it's again, they've got a very omnivorous mix in their diet, but they've primarily got quite sharp teeth. Let's move on to something bigger. The gelada baboon. Not really a baboon, different genus, but what's the genus between friends? Oh, why would they name that? It, yeah, because they look like it. <laughs> That's it. I don't know. Okay. They, look, they look like baboons. <laughs> They're huge, very, very fluffy. They sit on the tops of these cliffs in Ethiopia, and they do this incredible behaviour to communicate with each other, to uh, send each other signals. They flip back the top lip and reveal the biggest fangs. <laughs> I think I've ever seen in my life. These teeth are massive and they are sharp and they wander around all day on their butts eating grass. Oh. Which is interesting. The fangs now have a different purpose. They have a different purpose. Purpose. Yep, purpose. The reason why it's, that it's selectively advantageous to have these fangs is because it's for dominance reasons. It's for communication purposes. It's used for... Yeah, sending a message to each other. Also, they eat tubers, which are... Not the musical instrument, that would be mental. Um, we're talking about kind of things that live underground, the uh, big pods, things like potatoes, uh, sweet potatoes, mm. things like that, uh, cassava as well. Basically, they eat them, which are incredibly hard foods to get into, and you need mm. an incredibly powerful set of jaws, and you need really big old fangs to get into them, something very sharp okay. to get into them. Hence why they've got big old fangs, and they're eating tubers. Gorillas, very, very similar, eating roots, uh, bits of wood, <laughs> lichen, plant matter, big fangs. And not necessarily much of the, um, well, no, actually no meat on the side at all. Then we look at capuchin monkeys. A capuchin monkey, mm. is, I think Pirates of the Caribbean. Or friends. Or fr yes, or friends. The, in Pirates of the Caribbean, the one that Captain Barbosa has sitting on his shoulder. But they're fruit munchers. There's only one monkey in France, I don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> it's Marcel or no one. Um, people who know will know. Um, <laughs> they're fruit munchers, primarily. They wander around eating really quite a large amount of fruit. They've got smallish, smallish fangs and they've got little molars as well. They have a more omnivorous diet. But they have also been seen to wander into the mangroves of the Amazon basin, find clams and mussels when the tide goes out, in the uh, mangrove beds, take them up to the branches, keep hitting them with rocks until they kind of get tired. Uh, mm. The literal muscle gets tired from clamping itself closed. They can be there for an hour or so. It just opens itself just a little bit and then wham, they get inside and eat the ah. muscles. So, yes, mainly fruit. Yes, mainly picking up insects here and there. But they also have a lot of um, shellfish in their diet, a lot of crabs as well. Like pescatarians. Yeah, exactly. And as we go on, uh, two more examples, chimps and orangutans. Chimps, massive fangs again, for communication purposes, sure. Mainly vegetarians, but they also, on occasion, some of them, uh, the actual Jane Goodall went and saw, they probably once a month go and hunt monkeys. Ah, uh, no way. They go and hunt them down, and they go and share around a hunted meal, effectively. So here we see fangs coming into it, the kind of the what we see as the normal purpose for them: meat eating. 
but they've also got molars at the back of their mouths. They've also got incisors. And then we get orangutans as well, which they probably have the most human-like set of teeth <laughs> out of the modern-day primates. They have a very strong veggie diet. Uh, the males have got larger fangs. There was some sexual dimorphism there for display purposes. And yet, the females, the ones without these fangs, have been seen to be eating meat on three separate occasions in the last 20 years. And it's only been females. We don't know if the males do it or not. And they don't have these so-called adapted meat-eating teeth. So what's going on? But they have the omnivorous set. They have little canines. Mm. They have incisors. They have molars there. And if you look at humans, well, human evolution over the last 10 million years, which we touched upon in the last episode, is one of survival and the development of an even bigger brain from 300 or so centimetres cubed to 1,300 centimetres cubed today, requiring a lot of energy and a lot of protein. And across prehistory, we see Ardipithecus, Australopithecus having substantial canines. We have smaller canines, smaller than chimps, I should say, turning up six million years ago, um, five million years ago, less for display, more for just having an omnivorous diet. But as time goes on with early Homo, for example, they were hunting. We know that they hunted. There are tool marks uh, on bones in massive piles at the banks of caves. And we know they forage for fruit and veg as well. And they have a dentary much similar to ours for an omnivorous diet. Our brains would, out, would not, undoubtedly not have got to where they are today without a rich source of protein from meat and um, a, a large omnivorous diet as well. Yeah, I think the, the main point in our our brains wouldn't have been able to evolve without having access to the meat. It's more about the access to the calories as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but now we don't rely on that. We can get enough calories from plant matter. Not that like I'm saying, let's just try and evolve our brains bigger. I'm not <laughs> saying that at all. I'm just yeah. saying it's okay. It's, <laughs> it's okay. This is, yeah, this is a massive point which I wanted to make, actually. Um, I don't want this to be taken out of context. If we look at past evolution... Mm. That is a very different example to what we're seeing today. Yeah, Past evolution, the world's so different. So, so different. <laughs> yeah, and I also don't want to be kind of taken out and used as a voice clip for militant anti-vegans because that yeah, won't Militant pro-vegans no matter exactly. what. Exactly, no, exactly. Like... We have to look at evolution for what it is and what's happened and how different diets have impacted the teeth and the brain and how everything is interconnected. And, and appreciate like things are different now. It's... Exactly. So what I was going to say is, yeah, today is not so much of a case of evolution at all. We we can't be bringing this case into, but evolution has said this. Natural yeah. selection has said this in the past because that doesn't apply to us anymore. Today, we have to ensure that our body has enough calories, vitamins, proteins, and carbs yep. to function. Balanced diet. Exactly. Which is easier today than it has ever been before in human history. We can go out into the... For the West, anyway. In, for the West. That is entirely true. For the richer people but it's true we have a far greater array, uh, array of foodstuffs that we have access to mm -hmm. than ever before in the past a hunt would provide a little bit of meat fairly regularly today we eat huge amounts because we want to and we can and let's not draw evolution into this argument because i really don't yeah. think it believe, but belongs there we have created our own ecosystem and as such the laws that applied to the last 50 million years of primate evolution do not apply to us here today and as much as they have done in the past and therefore 
natural selection and evolution, I don't believe, should be brought into the argument of whether or not our teeth suggest that we should or should not be eating more or less meat. Well said. Thank you. (laughs) But should we move on to our news? Gosh, right, yes. So, news. I also, yeah, beforehand, thank you very much, Jen, for that. um, Oh, yeah, thank you, Jen. Sorry if I sounded like I was attacking you at the beginning. I wasn't. (laughs) No, we were just (laughs) clearly triggered something for me there. (laughs) No, absolutely. They are really, really good questions. They are. Mm, Absolutely. uh, Got us us thinking as well, which I thank you very, very much for that. And keep the questions incoming. Instagram is a really, really good place to throw questions at us we're normally really quite quick on responding on there so keep those questions coming um yeah thanks if a lot if not i've got a big old contact form on our website that's up now absolutely just feel yeah. free to use that brilliant cool on with the news the first bit of news is the fact that we are going well it's the end of season one we've decided that we're gonna do seasons for this and Right, we love doing this. We really, really love doing this. We're not going anywhere. And to prove as such, we're coming back strong at the start of season two with a live-streamed episode. Absolutely. So the three main reasons for ending the season now, just for now, just for now, so, coming back We love this far soon. too much to stop. Yeah. <laughs> just start letting you know. So first of all, um, if you're in the UK, you, you probably have noticed things are starting to open up again. Um in what will hopefully be the last lockdown from COVID-19. Um, but this means that things are getting super busy for both of us and we will not necessarily be working from home as much as we have been. Um, so a lot more time we'll have to go into travel and, you know, Tom might be moving soon. Many, many things. Life's starting again, basically. Yep. Um, and we're trying to catch up. Second thing, I am now approaching the halfway point of my PhD. Approaching, I'm not quite there yet. Um but it's getting really, really busy. And yeah, my research has to come first right now, which is sad because I love my research, but I also love DBB. Um, so we're definitely coming back before the end of 2021, hopefully much sooner than the end of 2021. No, flip, 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 flip. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, the third reason, we have a live show coming up. Yep. Um, that's going to take a lot of work to prepare. Um, we're going to turn it into an episode so you can listen to it wherever you're listening to it now. Um it's going to be about the tricky history of research ethics yeah. in evolution and biology, of which there is a lot. Really looking forward and to that And this is one. going to... Yeah, me too. And this is going to be at the Research Ethics Conference 2021, hosted on St. Luke's campus at the University of Exeter, and also online, so you can stream it from wherever you are. Um, and basically, this is a whole-day conference. Um, it's going to be so much fun. There are so many great speakers coming from... It was going to be all over the southwest of the UK, but now it's all over the world because it's gone online. Um, you can actually sign up to it for free right now if you want to. So if you go to the Research Ethics Conference website online, all the information's there. And this, I should say, is on the 25th of June. So as a huge thank you for all the support we've had through season one, I'm going to read out some fun stats in a minute about all the places we've reached. Yeah. Um, but we want to send out some stickers to those of you who've joined us. So please contact us via our website or social media and we can send you some. Our website is bit.ly forward slash Darwin's Black Book. So we're going to do a bit of an overview and a flashback of season one. Stuff that we like doing with this. Stuff we've learned. And what we really love about this podcast. I'll start. I love 
this is this is it's more of a little bit of a love letter to this to be perfectly honest cheesy <laughs> as heck well it's the fact i get to delve into bits of science i wouldn't normally be able to go and research or i'd come across in my job i'm a professional professional researcher i research research bleh, talking research. research i research some very specific things and to get a chance to go and look at some ancient mammals, uh, mammal evolution, or cetaceans, or a whole range of stuff that we've covered, or even the naturalists that we've had a, a chance to go and have a look at. It's been an absolute privilege to do so. Literally, to the whim of, what do we want to do an episode on today? Looks out window. <laughs> mm, the robins are doing something weird. Let's do something on them. <laughs> and that gets added to the list. It kind of goes to that. And so I actively get to follow the trains of thought, which take me on really fun science tangents and leads my mind into kind of going to places and i haven't really found that anywhere else apart from in science it allows me to go and chase bits of really sexy science basically the bits where you just go and <laughs> pause and marvel at how extraordinary this world is how extraordinary life is and how we'll probably never understand it all but we should give it a damn good go and go and protect it and at the same time there is nothing that we know of in the universe quite like our little blue marble of a planet and getting a chance to research that and tell you guys about it is genuinely one of the best things. There you go. That's what I love about this so podcast. Mine's not as articulate as that. I, just put, I really like doing frogs. Um, oh, gosh. Yeah. I, I also really love choosing the topics each week, like you said. Um, we don't really know ourselves what's going to come next. Um, and then we get yep. great feedback from what we chose. That's awesome. Yeah, really, yeah. I also really love doing the interview we did with Hello Bio. Yes. Um, that was great fun. We've put that all over our social media if you want to check it out. Um, as information about evolution, about if you want to start your own podcast, um, and a little bit about ourselves, yeah, and what we do as well. It's a two or three minute read. It's uh, not very long at all, but I, it's, it's, it was really entertaining to do and, and should be really quite interesting as well. Also, the day our stickers arrived, our logo stickers, oh, that was a good day. Oh. Yeah, we have, so many. <laughs> we have so many. This is kind of how it proves that season two has to happen because we've got a heck of a lot more stickers to deal with yeah so in terms of numbers i've worked out mm. that each so tom and i yeah we have easily put in over 100 hours each into season one so that's coming up with ideas researching recording editing social media etc uh, so worth it that's amazing so in total the number of independent listeners so independent people who have listened to this mm-hmm We've reached, we've reached 350 independent listeners. Whoa. Okay, so this is news to me as well, but 350 in, well, technically it was 13 episodes because this is, that's nuts. Yeah, so, yeah, this is before this one's streamed. Um, our most popular episodes have also been Origin, of course, that was our first oh, one. I also it. wanted to say something about Origin because... Um, I'm really aware that our standard has improved throughout this <laughs> season. Um, Origin is our most listened to episode, but I know that the new ones are so much better. And given I've never done this before, mm. um, it's been great thanks to the feedback and constructive criticism um, yeah. as well. So although Origin's our most popular, I, in my opinion, I don't think it's our best. True. But no, I would agree with you on that one as well. We were learning a lot there. Another really popular one was Love and Monogamy. Oh. Um, you guys l love listening to that outside Spotify more than anywhere else. Oh, wow. Which is cool. Yeah. That was a very popular one. Um, also, f of course, frogs. Uh, because they're frogs. Frogs and disease, episode seven. Got a weird thing um, about frogs. The listeners of this podcast have a weird thing <laughs> about frogs. frogs. <laughs> <laughs> like a disturbingly large amount. Yeah. 
all our best social media posts are like most interactive also, social media posts are about frogs. frogs. Yeah, okay. Okay, we know where, we know where the audience lies. This has turned into the it. Frog Podcast and we shall talk about nothing else but... <laughs> yeah, and we've also had um, three Christmas episodes, one Valentine's Day one as well, Yeah, which I think are very important on holidays. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we have had... About 700 streams as well, which is fantastic. Oh. So thank you for coming back and listening to Multiple <laughs> Yeah. Our voices have been streamed 700 times. around. Actually, this is one of my favourite bits as well. <laughs> I should say, like, one of my favourite bits of the podcast is the fact that we've got to some really weird places um, around the world. And Yes, I have that up now, actually. Because I know. love <laughs> getting to see how people react to the podcast, to evolution, having a bit more biology in their lives, having to think about maybe in something they haven't thought about for quite a long time. Um, I think, again, bringing up um, question of the day, Jen, she, she sent those questions through at 2am, just saying, I've been thinking, <laughs> I've been thinking on these things, which is incredible. And just getting that, it fills me with just the best feeling to say that, yeah, actually, these are things to consider that maybe you haven't thought about before. And Please keep sending in the questions. Genuinely, I just, I can't tell you how much we're, I appreciate that. But I was going to say, the places where it's got to, New Zealand. Mm -hmm. We got a message saying, it's like, thanks, my um, lecturer suggested this to, to me. And I was like, that's, that's nuts. Where, where's this lecturer from? Is it somewhere we know? It's like, New Zealand. I don't know anyone in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> it's got all the way out there. That's fantastic. I've got the listeners up now. Most of our listeners are from the UK and the US, which is fantastic, followed by Ireland. Wow. And then South Africa, Brazil, Australia, Singapore, Russian Federation, Italy, Thailand, Iceland, Turkey. What? Germany, Japan, and Malaysia. <laughs> they just, just... What? That's nuts. That's... I've never... So oh thank my you, whoever's listening from those countries. That's absolutely amazing. We're so happy to have you here. Welcome, and hey, tell you... And also, we don't advertise. We have well, hardly ever advertise anything at all, so... No paid advertisement. No paid advertisement yeah. whatsoever. So if you feel oh, like hang this on, podcast... Some more. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Canada, Turkey, Netherlands, Belgium, France, unknown. Unknown? Wow, okay. Denmark, Philippines, Argentina, Israel, Mexico, Poland, Morocco, India. So... If you feel like you have friends which may like this, having a chat, whatever they do in, in life, whatever their job is, whatever they're studying, throw them this podcast, you know? <laughs> I, I feel that, that, yeah, just just if you like it and you want to give something back, I think that'd be, that'd be amazing. And thank you so, so much. Also, we've got a little bit of what we've learned, Tom. Yes. What have you learned? What have I learned? Ooh. Other than the science. I've learned... Well, yeah, there's a huge amount of science I've learned, but I've also learned how to coherently put together a podcast, the structure of it, how to tell an appropriate story, and also take incredibly complicated bits of science, which I like doing that, and then trying to put it down into something that's understandable and listenable and actually entertaining. And I think perfecting that has been, has been great fun. Yeah, for me, this has really helped me a lot with the transition to teaching virtually. So I'm quite new yes. to teaching at universities, yes. so teaching in general. Um, and as part of my PhD, I've been doing a little bit of that. Um, so that was new to me too. But honestly, it feels like podcasting sometimes because so when you're teaching undergrads, they don't turn the cameras on. So it's just you. <laughs> Zero response. <laughs> you just, yeah, yeah. So you've got an audience of like sometimes 30, sometimes 200 people, and you're just talking at the void. Yep. <laughs> so it feels a bit like podcasting. Um, 
Also with virtual conferences, when I'm when I'm sharing my screen, sharing my presentation, I can't see the attendees. So again, it's like podcasting, but over a presentation. And I've noticed I've got so much better at that as well. Yeah. Thanks to DBB. That's fantastic. Yeah, it really has. I mean, I can't tell you how much, like, I really look forward to doing this. Um, normally, it's I'm writing notes to the last minute. It's like just five more minutes. And Becca's like, we need to record. It's 10 p.m. at night. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that I, has happened more than once. That has happened a few times. <laughs> We, uh, we don't allow ourselves to record after dinner anymore because that happens. Because we just went, that went way too late. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just wanted to say the next episode is going to be the one, this this live show. And yes. yeah, it does, it needs time to prepare. But th- that's the thing. We want to give you guys the best possible experience, the most accurate, the most entertaining, not rushed, no mistakes in it uh, for any of our episodes. And therefore, um, Never done a live one before. Yeah, it's going to be. Edit out it's, it's, no, <laughs> <laughs> Mistakes. Uh, yeah, you get to see what we <laughs> normally try and edit out, which will be entertaining. Um, we, yeah, so we, that's researchethicsconference.co.uk if you want to sign up yeah. as a delegate for free and then you can come watch us, send us some questions, talk to us as we yeah. try and record this thing. Don't want to watch anything else, just come and watch us. Thanks. Um, <laughs> <let's> <laughs> say, yeah, no, there are some great talks going on as well. Just we do. We, we put our hearts and souls into this and we want to give you the best possible experience. So, Talking of putting our hearts and souls into stuff, yes, we have one more annual of the episode result to go through, We do. We? we absolutely do. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> Becca. <laughs> we see where we end. For the last time on season one, <laughs> what time is it? Animal of the episode. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Let's go. Whoop, whoop. So, animal of the episode. Last time, Becca won, annoyingly. Uh, so now Please. the scores are Becca five, draw three times, Tom has won four times. <gasps> this is tight. This is really close. Yeah, I know. It sucks. Uh, <laughs> I'm losing. I don't like losing. So, um, <laughs> in terms of who won, the last episode, Becca chose a... Uh, the missing link from Star uh, for Starfish. Yes, Starfish missing link, which is incredible. A uh, new paper from 2021. I chose yep. the amphibian missing link. You critter something from the Black Lagoon, which was quite cool. I can't remember the Latin name of the species. <laughs> they were both very strong candidates. Were strong, to be fair, strong candidates, and oh my gosh, it was so close. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't a draw. I can confirm that. Oh. But it wasn't a draw. So. Drum roll, please. So the this will dictate whether we end on a draw or whether we end on Becca winning. Yes. Becca, you took it. You took it. You won. I won. You won. Sixty <gasps> percent yes. to forty percent rounded. Yes. So um, good stuff. Again, as I told the whole entire time, it doesn't really matter. I'm going. <laughs> no, congratulations. I don't feel like you said that once. No, I don't. I don't feel that. Pause Thank that you. right. Congratulations. Thank you You've chosen you some much. fantastic animals. Um, <laughs> And They've all been fantastic, to be fair. Yeah, Everyone, and hopefully, every animal. Hopefully, you've learned some bought. really cool, kind of obscure animals that we've kind of bought out of the uh, the depths of academia mm-hmm. to bring to you. So, I just want to say personally, thank you very, very much for listening. We are certainly going to be back. Um, yes, just don't while, forget us. Just while we get. Also, we will still be active across social media. We will still be posting Absolutely. a lot of things still on here. there. We will still very be engaged with you if you throw things at us and we'll be throwing things at you as well so 
Yeah, we'll, we'll also be starting our fundraising drive for Galapagos Conservation Trust before too long as well. So look and out for that. there's going to be that. We have we mm. have some awesome plans. We just need a little bit of time to plan them. Yes. Perfect. So thank you very very much for joining us. I hope you come back for the next load of awesome biology and evolution we throw at you. I've gone on way too long waffling at this point. So <laughs> you can find us on Spotify, Podchaser, Google Podcasts and many other podcast players. Thank you one more time to the British Ecological Society for supporting the development and startup of this podcast. Um, season one wouldn't have been possible without them. So thank you. Um, you can find them and join the society at britishecologicalsociety.org and you can find us, Darwin's Black Book, on Twitter at Darwin Black Book or use the hashtag DBB or on Facebook and Instagram at Darwin's Black Book. For more information about the podcast, you can go to bit.ly forward slash Darwin's Black Book. And for more information about me, you can go to tomland.co.uk. And last, I didn't realise last time we didn't actually end on a quote because we couldn't find one that was a suitable one. But There was a lot of quotes in the episode, to be so fair. Many. But I just want to say, ending this episode, I felt like we started with a David Amber quote and we should definitely end with a David Amber quote. No one will protect what they don't care about, and no one will care about what they have never experienced. Hopefully through this podcast, we have provided some really unique views about our, our world. So thank you very, very much for listening, and until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.